Hey, I'm Aldwin. And I'm Jason. And this is the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. New balls, please. Why I didn't get excuse me? Can you talk louder so everyone can hear you asking me about my drugs? I mean, if we had Hawkeye, you would be so freaking embarrassed right now. Well, how come they can say whatever they want to me? Oh, it's all talent. I don't worry. I'll just sit on the couch. I don't want to look like I am I gonna be his boyfriend. Ready? Play. Welcome to the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Aldwin. And I'm also exhausted. <laughs> because You've been doing a lot of hiking with your husband. Yes, yeah, so um, I am in your homeland. Uh, only because, well, you're Filipino, but you also teach French so I consider this your homeland <laughs> that was such a confusing intro <laughs> hopefully people get it now and uh, a lot of our trip I have a good husband because a lot of our trip has been monopolized by tennis and the timing of when the matches are on and when we can go for dinner and when we can do things and when we're going to be in the room <laughs> so there has been a bit of that so kudos to Wade who's cutting cheese right now not gas but actual cheese for our dinner not not literally proverb oh no he is actually cutting it literally <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> literally cutting some smoked something or other um but let's get back to the tennis so the u.s open is a wrap oh mg yeah did you ever think that we would get to the point where we would be doing a u.s open recap like Think back to when we started this podcast in the middle of May. I mean, the U.S. Open was a big question mark, and now here we are. We've got two new champions. I mean, I don't know about you, but I was really enjoying just talking about tennis with tennis not happening. Now I don't know if I want to do this <laughs> podcast anymore. <laughs> I know. It's it's funny, though, you know, because the last couple of episodes, we've been doing actual analysis of matches. <laughs> yeah, like we actually, we actually have to take this seriously now. <laughs> yeah, like before we're just like, okay, we'll just talk about whatever stuff comes up in our <laughs> in our head. <laughs> yeah, whatever, you know, crazy thing this player is doing or that player is doing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we have a tournament, a couple tournaments now under under our belts, under, mm-hmm. yeah, in the books. In the books, there yeah, you go. Yeah, that was what I was looking for. Thank you. <laughs> that was a struggle. Um, and we had some amazing, I had texted you. Um, when the semifinals were set for the ladies and said, I'm so looking forward to these matches. I know. You know, when I got your text, I had to re- reread what you had sent me because very seldom, you know, maybe I don't give you enough credit because, you know, for all of our listeners, I think people have an idea that Jay is very, you know, up in the know of the men's tennis scene. And he does watch women's tennis from time to time. But when you texted me that, I was like, oh, He's just as excited as I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, those four women in particular had had such a great run at the tournament. And those stories that we talked about on the last episode, uh, their their particular journey were so compelling. And the, the matchups just seemed so interesting that I was looking forward to both of them. And they did not disappoint. Mm-hmm. Which one did you think was more entertaining? 
I just liked the back and forth. I thought the Brady Naomi match in terms of quality was the best of the two because Agreed. they both played well throughout most of the match. I think mm-hmm. um, Brady had a bit of a lull in the third set, but they both played well for most of the match. So I think that was the better quality match overall. Yes, agreed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, yeah, they they were pounding the ball. And I thought Brady had a chance. I mean, she took the second set. In, I think it was in a tie break. Uh, so Brady ended up taking the second set 6-3. Six, three, three, right. Right. The first set, actually, of all of the sets played in the semifinal, I thought that the very first set between Brady and Osaka was the best set of tennis that I watched. It kind of was like a culmination of, uh, you know, girl on fire, Miss Jen Brady, who's been doing her thing in Cincy and now at the U.S. Open. And of course, you know, steadfast Naomi. And it was just a high quality first set. And like you said, Jen kind of fell off in the second set. And then, you know, as champions do, Naomi kind of kept her wits about her. And it was Jen's first time in a Grand Slam semi. And when you're up against a two-time and now three-time Grand Slam champion, it's hard to, you know, I guess it's hard to overcome the experience that Naomi had mm-hmm. in that third set. So Yeah, I mean, when Naomi's on, she has the firepower and it's hard to, she, I mean, she hits the ball so hard, it's hard to get to those balls. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, if I were to play Naomi, I would do what I do against her what I try to do against you, which is don't hit to her forehand <laughs> yeah. or your forehand. <laughs> but she has a good backhand as well. But yeah, her forehand is her weapon for sure. Mm. So we had a great semifinal and then we moved on to Vika and Serena. Okay. So this is the mom semifinal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Serena had be- beaten uh, Parankova, another mom. There were three moms, I believe, in the quarterfinals. And, you know, Serena started off, as she usually does, very strong. She won the first set 6-1. But a testament to kind of Vika and her mental state in this comeback of hers, you know, when you go down a set to, you know, arguably the GOAT, it doesn't look like a good situation for you. But Vika kept her mind about it, and she ended up taking the last two sets, three and three. And, you know, what? I think what I took away from that semifinal, I don't know, Jay, if you felt the same way, but the Vika of, like, six or seven years ago when she won her two... Was it six or seven years ago or more then? She won uh, the Aussie Open in 2013. That was her last, and she won the year prior, 2012. Yeah, 2012 and 2013, so that's eight and seven years ago. She was playing the kind of tennis that I see her playing now which is you know aggressive tennis tactical tennis she doesn't go for outright winners but her mobility and her ability to move the ball around and kind of open up the court for her is what is what made her a two-time grand slam champion to begin with and she was bringing all of that for me in that semifinal. and so you know as you know i I called Serena to pick the whole damn thing because I thought that she was going to summon all of her, like, you know, her energy and power and, you know, all of the, all of the tools in her arsenal to get to that number 24. But I have to admit, I'm really happy that Azarenka came away with that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She played so well, as you said, she, she does a good job of 
picking the corners and then she just has this sort of flow to her game so when she hits Mm. one corner she knows where to redirect the ball or where to hit the ball to continue to move her opponent around and take advantage of the points yeah i was i don't know i mean maybe i'm jumping the gun a little bit but you know we talked a little bit about about this in previous shows you know you and i are not spring chickens anymore (laughs) and (laughs) we we're not the you know 20 somethings that can play hours of tennis and have a full recovery and come out and compete the next day we need a little bit of time to recoup but Vika is that girl for me. She represents, you know, a girl that was at the top of her game, again, winning two Grand Slam titles, has gone through some dips and lows in her life, again, with the custody, custody battle over her son, and, you know, just struggling to find form. And I don't know, it just made me so happy to see her do well at this Grand Slam. Well, I mean, rewind two and a half weeks ago where she won her first match in 2020 and her first match (laughs) in like a year and sort of the happiness that you saw on her face and her thorough excitement for just having done that and then the fire that she had in those last few matches the quarters and the semis and then in the final and how pumped up she would get and um yeah she just had such energy that you it was like she was happy to be on court she was happy to be playing she was happy to get a win and then you transition to wanting to win and knowing that that's a possibility and knowing you can and then beating somebody you've never um, beat beaten before at a grand slam level in serena so mm-hmm. yeah uh what do you okay i'm gonna put you on the spot Uh-oh. a little bit are you ready? <laughs> I'm all, I, I guess I'm always ready for this. We'll see. <laughs> it, that's a nice drink that you have there. It's a little sort of pre-made uh, gin and ginger. It's got it's got tonic, but it's also got a, like a a bit of ginger. It's you know, Ooh. it's we're here in Quebec and they make good gin. So a, l- a little spice. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. My question was, what do you think it is about getting older that improves? your tennis game i mean you can so you can speak for yourself you can speak for you know any of the number of women that have kind of found their game again after having had children you know uh, men on the tour what do you think it is about kind of getting older because clearly physically it's more difficult but what is it about just the age that comes with the success do you think? Are you asking me this because I'm older than you? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm beating you in more matches? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, that is one zillion percent true. I mean, I'm starting to get real tired of losing to you. But, you know, as as I said to you the last time that you beat me, I, it can't get any worse. <laughs> I could lose to you for a 99th time, but whatever. I think, but, yeah, what, what do you think it is? I think it's, I don't know, it's different for each player, obviously. Someone like... Serena, who, when you watched her the last few weeks or, you know, since the return to play, she's been having something going on for her uh, mentally or emotionally where obviously she wants to be achieving the same results. And she, as Chris Everett often puts it in um, when she's talking about older players, you have more bad days um, on the tour and you have more um challenging challenges on the court uh so for her you know you could kind of see a bit of that and she was trying to i think she succeeded 
um, in in building her own emotions on the court. There was something helpful in not having fans there, perhaps for her. But mm. I disagree that she she didn't really start very well in all of her matches. She did against Azarenka, but Perankova took took the first set from her and went up like two love, and then you know she did that Serena thing where she comes back. But for mm. <laughs> for Azarenka, it, it's a little bit different in that. As you pointed out, she's gone through so much. She had, a, you know, a couple of years where she could barely play any tournaments because she was in this custody battle where she wasn't able to leave um, the country. And she was based, I think, in Florida at the time. Mm-hmm. So she wasn't able to travel as much. She wasn't able to play. And then once she sort of built up a little bit of her ranking, she was always... Uh, taking on you know top seeds in the early rounds and she was getting bounced so for her to go on this 11-0 run at at this point in her career it sort of feels like destiny and she has sort of grown up and she has matured and you know those uh results show and hopefully she can maintain that and get to another Grand Slam final because, you know, seven years is a long time. And I don't think she or, you know, maybe even her fans felt that that was something that she would get to again. But she did. Yeah. I mean, I think as you get older, you realize that the moments where you are doing well, winning, getting to finals, winning championships become fewer and far between. So I think you're more present and I think that really helps with performance because you realize clock is ticking, you know, you don't have that many more opportunities, so you try to take advantage as best as you can. And it was it was really heartwarming for me to see Vika do so well. So why don't we just get into the final girl? Yeah, I love her. I just love her so much. So I'm so happy for her. Obviously, we we had <laughs> you and I wanted her to be I think beat Serena. That would be the cat yes. that comes out. We wanted that to happen, and and it did. It, and it was so. We were so happy for her because we wanted her to make the final, and we wanted her to win. Yeah, and it was looking really good for her as she was up six one two love forty thirty. Yeah, and <laughs> in then, the final. And then yeah, and then things turned around, and like uh, like Dominic team, I think on the men's side when Naomi turns it on and starts firing and um, she makes very few errors when she's on and that's sort of what happened. And I don't think Azarenka's level dipped too much. It may have dipped a no. little bit, but uh, when when Naomi starts dictating points and she starts moving you around in the way Azarenka did in the first set, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's t- she's tough to beat. Actually, I did a, I did my due diligence. So, full disclosure, I did not watch the women's final live. I was working at my friend's store. I could not help, however, but be on the usopen.org website <laughs> <laughs> and watch the live scoring. I remember you and I were texting back and forth. You're like, girl, watching the US Open live live scoring is so stressful (laughs) you know i and i I, you tell me what you think but the reason why it's stressful for me is because you clearly are not watching the points being played all you're doing is waiting for (laughs) the the live yeah the the ball to bounce to the next server or (laughs) the score to refresh from 30 all to 40 30 or whatever (laughs) 
Right. The watch the live score update, and you know, I said to myself, "Okay, Aldwin, just hold off until you get home because this is gonna be a good women's final." But I just couldn't help myself. Anyway, when I watched the final back at home, I kind of pinpointed a moment in which the tide had turned, and that was two three down in the second set. Osaka start. I think Chris Everett started had mentioned that you know two three down. Osaka was like, "F this shit." Let me come out and play my game, which is aggressive tennis. She hits the ball flat. Let me dictate play because when you are when you go up against someone like Vika, you're pretty much you know if you don't go out there attempting to dictate play, she's gonna dictate. So it's a matter of like it's not court craftiness. It's who's going to take control of the point first. And two three down in the second set, Naomi said, "Not today, girl." And I think that's when the match turned around for her. Yeah, yeah, she played really well throughout the rest of the match. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I was having a little bit of hope as I was watching on the computer screen at my friend's store. You know, I think Naomi went up four-one, maybe even five-one in the third set, and then I could see Vika climbing back five-two, five-three. I think that game went to deuce. There was maybe a break point involved, and I was like, okay. You know, take us along in this dramatic ride, but alas, it was not to be. And Miss Naomi Osaka is now a two-time U.S. Open champion mm-hmm. and a three-time Grand Slam champion, and nine and zero when she reaches the quarterfinals of Grand Slams, and she's three and zero obviously in finals as a result. Yeah, I mean, I was telling you before we recorded. I think this legitimize. I mean, <laughs> first of all, speaking as an amateur tennis player, I would die to have one grand slam (laughs) but i mean you know in the in the profession of tennis playing when you are a three-time grand slam champion i think that truly solidifies you as a legend you know you're not like a lucky winner for a first time grand slam two times could be like stars aligning three times you're like put my name in the tennis hall of fame Mm -hmm. yeah and she's only 22 right so yeah i think you know talking about legitimizing you're sort of referring to her first grand slam and the um incident that occurred and if you want to hear more about that you can go back to our one previous episode yeah a, a very popular episode btw <laughs> but i think you know one of our conclusions or at least my conclusion from that final was that she would have won regardless of all of that. She was playing really well. I think she was focused. She was sort of in the moment, uh, not really thinking about the pers- the other person on the other side of the court. And, um, you know, she was a bit tight in this match she against w- Vika. Mm-hmm. She was, for sure. Uh, but she was able to turn the tide, as you mentioned. So three times. Three times, three Pete. Well, not three Pete at the U.S. Open, but what? Two U.S. Opens and, and an Aussie an Australian. Yeah. So she's the hardcore queen. Hardcore queen. Um, can we just like add on another layer to this championship? Like, I don't know about you, but when I play a GLTA tournament, my focus is on like winning at least one round. Let's just <laughs> wheel it back to Naomi <laughs> at the A level. Yes. Let's just wheel it back to Naomi for a hot second. Not only did Naomi have the intention of winning a slam championship, but she came in 
with an added intention, which was to bring awareness to the racial tension in the United States. I mean, that girl, that sorry, rephrase, that woman ended up bringing seven masks to wear, again, as we all know, each with the name of a person of color that had been you know, killed by the police as a political social statement to bring awareness to millions of people. And again, Jason and I talked about this on the last podcast. And not only did she have like a professional goal, again, tennis wise to win a grand slam, but she had a social goal and she achieved that. So, you know, I'm not sure whether you watched her press conference from two years ago. You know, Naomi admittedly is a very naturally shy person, you know, very, um, introspective very timid and um now she uh you know she managed to kind of come out of her shell and that was one of her intentions she said she actually said during a press conference that you know she knows that she's a shy person but she was so sick of the racial injustice that was that was going on in the united states and around the world that it forced her to come out of her shell and if you watched her press conference after winning the U.S. Open, you can see that level of maturity. So, I mean, I said this on our IG after she won the championship. I really can't think of a better person and a better time for her to be the champion of the U.S. Open. So, I think she, clap, clap. Yeah, I think she she intentionally or unintentionally, I guess depending on your perspective, put a lot of weight on her shoulders or she had a lot of weight on her shoulders but from my observation it didn't she didn't sort of let it feel like it was for her or it didn't seem like it was for her she was just sort of going about her business um delivering the message sort of very quietly through what she wore on her face and then Mm -hmm. went about her business and you know she was asked the questions obviously in press conferences and uh, after matches and during the uh, trophy ceremony but she knew it was just the right thing for her to be doing um, and yeah. to be be taking that mantle and, and putting herself in that leadership role so yeah and you know I th- maybe we mentioned it but I'm so happy that she created a new memory for herself Because the one that she had, you know, at the 2018 U.S. Open, again, you had referenced it, losing, sorry, winning to Serena, but with the drama of the default, you know, she not only made it a positive professional tennis playing memory, but she made it a positive professional tennis playing social change memory. Mm -hmm. And I'm so happy that she has that for herself because, you know, she deserves it. Exactly. Speaking yeah. of deserving it, we're going to talk about the men now. Ooh, okay. <laughs> who, who deserved it more? <laughs> okay, y'all know I'm not really into men's tennis. I don't know why I'm a co-host on a podcast about tennis. <laughs> I mean, Jason, again, takes the mantle for that. But I got so into this men's draw. But I'm going to let you go first. What did, what did you... Are we going to start with the semi? Yeah, you know, so admittedly, you know, being here in Quebec City on a little mini vacation, I have to pick and choose <laughs> certain matches that I would watch and not watch. And the men's semis started earlier in the day uh, on a day when we had decided to go for a lengthy 15-kilometer hike. So I 
removed the viewing of the um, Pablo Carreño Busta Zverev <laughs> semifinal. It was one of the. How dare you? Yeah. Oh my God, how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> it was one of the ones I uh, made a conscious <laughs> decision to sacrifice. <laughs> oh my God. That was the one to watch. And uh, it had its own drama because uh, as I was driving back from our hike back into the city, it uh, Zverev had already gone down two sets. I know. I mean, I just have to add this detail. I don't know if whether you guys realize this or not, but between the semifinal and the final, Zverev won five straight sets. You know, he came down from two sets to win against PCB was okay. Whatever. I mean, everyone knows what happened in the final, yeah. but I mean, so did you end up watching at least a part of that match afterward? No, I I got back just in time for it to be over. Okay, so do you want to hear my yes. kind of shtick on yes, it? Yes, please. Okay, so again, PCB didn't know much about him. I watched highlights of his quarterfinal against um, Chapo. You know. I've talked to a couple of people on Facebook and IG, other, you know, more knowledgeable people that know about the ATP tour and players. PCB, I believe you even said yourself, is kind of a grinder. He's the Ferrero, right? No, no, like no. Like a that's Ferrero Rocher. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd unwrap that. <laughs> you mean uh, David Ferrer. So, oh, did I say Ferrero? Yeah. Oh my God! I was confusing Juan Carlos Ferrer oh, from back I in the day. I was just saying Ferrero Rocher, like the chocolate. <laughs> I mean, but I would still unwrap PCB like a Ferrero Rocher. There you go. <laughs> um, I kind of put PCB in the same category as RBA. Yes. <laughs> right. I mean, the way I think about it is, uh, clay quarter Spanish player. You know, obviously, if you're on clay court, you are trained to really think about tactics and stay in the point you know it, you're not so apt to like pull the trigger and try to hit a winner so pcb is kind of in that same sphere as rba and when i watched his match against chapeau i mean chapeau had a lot of ups and downs he had a lot of winners had a lot of errors but pcb because was kind of steady the whole way through and that's what ended up winning the match for him when i watched him against verev Honestly, what I what I kind of came away with that match was that Zverev, again, has been hot and cold, has kind of felt the pressure of underperforming at Grand Slams. He was kind of living up to that particular expectation in the first set. PCB didn't really do anything too special, you know, and Zverev ended, ended up losing those sets three and two. But Zverev just turned the corner in the third set, and he was, I mean, although the sets were not blowouts like three four and three i felt like it was his time his moment to be like i'm not gonna lose again in a grand slam semifinal. i'm gonna level up and i'm going to take this clay quarter out by by upping my game <laughs> mm -hmm. so that's what that's what i ended up taking away from that semifinal. well i'm glad you took something away i <laughs> i was picking up cheese on the road back home uh, in in advance of getting forward or looking forward to the match between Medvedev and Team Medvedev, your boy. Yeah, but he 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 done blew it. He done blew it. I mean, final last year, semifinal this year, really good showing. Mm -hmm. 
But so you're saying that you ended up, you did watch this. Match. I watched the Medvedev team match. Yeah, it was the one I was looking forward to. I think many sort of viewed it as the final in the semifinal. Really? Yeah, I think a lot of people felt that it was. That's shady. <laughs> That's a bit shady to Zverev, to be honest. That's a bit shady. Yeah, I think I think people <laughs> felt that the uh, the eventual winner of this match was going to win the tournament, which in- inevitably happened, but not in the way we <laughs> we expected. Obviously. <laughs> How did you think your boy played? Uh, he played well. He got a little disheveled um, in the first set. Uh, had a little run-in with the umpire. Did you watch the match? So I only watched the last set. But what is this um, run-in well, with the he, umpire that you talked about? It was like 4-2, uh, and he, he served the ball, and the ball uh, to him looked like it was out. So the ball came back to him team returned it and he didn't really play the play his return because he thought the serve was going to be out so he tried Mm. to challenge he tried to challenge his own serve got it and uh the umpire wouldn't let him because he sort of played team's return but so he he ended up hitting team's return well kind of not really only because he didn't hear the call uh it was clear Mm. that he wasn't playing the ball um, in the same way you would if you knew your serve was in, so right. he, Ooh, he that's a that's a that's a little bit of drama there. Yeah, so he tried to challenge the umpire. Said no. Team, who you know, I think we're going to talk about in a little bit. Who one of his great qualities is his sportsmanship well, and his big booty and his well. And, oh, sorry, yeah, and that um, <laughs> he he offered to let Medvedev challenge, but the umpire said no. Oh, usually that's interesting because usually if the opposing player, you know, insists on whatever, I guess in this case, letting Medvedev challenge, the umpire usually obliges. Mm-hmm. But the umpire, who was the, do you know who the umpire was? No. Was it a familiar face? Yeah, familiar. I don't know all of the umpires by name. That's, Got you it. know, once we get into season two or three, maybe I'll know them all. <laughs> maybe I'll also understand the difference between how somebody gets a wild card and how they get to <laughs> get to qualify <laughs> for a tournament. I, Wade asked me about that. I'm like, he's like, maybe you should know that as a podcaster. I'm like, give me more time and I'll figure it out. <laughs> I think there's a lot of backroom situations when it comes to issuing wild cards but i mean we're gonna get into that because we have somebody to talk about in respect to that right (laughs) yes yes. so yeah the the match it was a solid match after uh after that and the this the second and third sets went to tie breaks but um team team took it team took it a six two seven six seven six Mm -hmm. And that set up the Zverev and team final. And what was most interesting as I watched the hour-long (laughs) pre-show on ESPN is that there was literally no talk about Zverev and his chance. Well, all of the preview and the vignettes that they do uh, before the final were about team and his athleticism (laughs) and his preparation and the fact that he lost three finals two to Nadal and one to Djokovic and he wasn't playing one of the big three anymore in the finals so this was his moment and there was no talk about Zverev really at all in that whole hour 
Yeah, and that's shocking because, I mean, if there was any tournament for him to show the world that he was ready to be a slam champion, it was this one. So you would imagine that the commentators or, you know, the pre-recorded clips and snippets would kind of involve him. I mean, he is one of the final. He is one of the finalists, right? But, I mean, he started off. Like he has, I, honestly, the first couple of sets. So the the final, I did end up watching. Um, he did start off the final. His The first two sets that he played in the final were indicative of his play, I believe, this entire tournament. You know, I don't think he did anything particularly spectacular. But, you know, we all know Zverev to be a person, again, that underperforms at the slams. So for him to be in a final and to keep his shit together, winning the first two sets uh was on point i thought yeah i think he he came in with a game plan and he came in focused and was he didn't seem nervous a lot of the what the commentators were saying before the match and as the match started was that team sort of seemed nervous even in the pre little on court interview that they do compared to zverev Mm. and he had a bit of a game plan obviously he he does well when his first serve goes in. So he started off serving very well. <laughs> he was also mixing in um, some some coming to the net, which um, was which is not something he typically does, but he should do more of because he does it very well. Um, Zverev. Zverev. L- yeah. Later on in the match, he was continuing to come into the net, but he wasn't... His approach shots weren't as good. And once team gets at at once he starts to level up as you say um mm-hmm. it's hard he's he's gonna pass you if you haven't done enough on your approach yeah i believe just you know that team team has like an you know how a camel has uh you know that hump on his back you know where i'm going with this right <laughs> i think i feel like it's another ass comment but is <laughs> I'm it's dangereux. You know, a camel stores all of its energy in its hump. I, I think that team stores all of his energy. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're not wrong. <laughs> team stores all of his energy in his booty. Well, if, and so, if you wanted to rhyme something with hump, you should have just said rump. Oh, see, I'm not the English major. Right. You're the French. You're the French teacher. <laughs> I'm the French teacher. English so. major. French teacher. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for sharing that because that is very appropriate. I mean, he has all of that booty slash rump energy that he was like, bitch, I'm down two sets. Everyone's expecting me to win this match. And he managed to turn it around. I mean, that third set wasn't particularly poorly played on either player, you know, for either player, but it just so happened that team I, th- I think raised his game a little bit and Zverev you know maybe seeing the finish line a, a little prematurely was like let me just kind of see if I can ease into this first US Open Championship but Mr. Rump had other ideas he had, a, he had <laughs> other plans yeah Zverev's serve started to go off a little bit um, towards mm. the the end of the second set and into the third set and yeah team started to turn 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 it on i know and so okay i mean i I don't know if the fourth set's even worth discussing i mean it was 
team 6-3. Again, as you mentioned before, he had kind of turned the tide. What did you think about that fifth set? I mean, okay, before I kind of pass over the mic to you, I thought that it was completely appropriate for all of the naysayers out there that talk about, oh, US Open 2020 is going to be an asterisk for the winner, (laughs) you know? It's almost as if Team and Zverev kind of planned to have a fifth set. And I mean, again, talking about this on our previous podcast, it, it was so enthralling and engaging. Like, though the level of tennis was not like pounding the ball back and forth, as you and I discussed previously, the fact that it was kind of a battle of attrition in the fifth set, I thought made it even more compelling. Yeah, it was compelling in a completely different way compared to what the big three would produce in a final perhaps and i think (laughs) (laughs) i think that's that's where some of the naysayers are you know are on the social media saying bring them bring them back like these guys are lightweight um and you know in a in part of why it was compelling was you could sort of see them physically crumbling in a way like getting a little (laughs) bit more withdrawn and a little bit tired and perhaps the weight of what was about to occur for either one of them sort of weighing on on their their shoulders in in that fifth set i mean uh teams started to cramp at five six yeah i mean he didn't have enough booty energy or rump energy to, <laughs> to carry him I mean he did eventually but like not in that 5-6 game <laughs> yeah he certainly found it I mean when he was serving down 5-6 he could barely sort of get the lift on his serve like he was mm. he, as you watched him serve he could barely sort of jump into the ball and into the court so I was yeah. worried that he was gonna lose it on on that and his inability to sort of serve or move which would have been that would have been heartbreaking yeah i mean i again i'm just getting used to team's game but he handed he handed he ended up hacking his backhand often i i mean i i thought i was watching you play (laughs) (laughs) i mean he was driving his forehand because that is clearly his number one weapon but he was kind of like and i wouldn't even describe it as slicing it was really hacking, mm-hmm. you know, floating backhands back to Zverev. And uh, not that it was surprising to me because I really am, again, not familiar with his game. But, you know, I forget if it was Boris Becker, but, you know, some famous Grand Slam champion of tennis has said before, the fifth set is about heart. I mean, maybe the three, you know, the big three step up and level up and play their best games in the fifth set. We've all seen it happen before, but I believe that this fifth set was truly about like who wanted it more, who was going to last. And it was really about heart. No? Yeah. I mean, it was hard to tell who was going to last, <laughs> to be honest. And as viewers, I'm sure some of us were thinking about whether we were going to last. But <laughs> as I, as true tennis fans and wanting to see a new champion emerge, we stuck with it. And team was victorious. Team, he had enough. I'm going to stop it with the booty <laughs> energy. No, but he had, no, listen, if you were to have 
you know, describe this situation without announcing a winner to anyone three weeks ago, anyone knowledgeable about tennis. Everyone knows that team is the quote unquote deserved winner, having been in three Grand Slam finals before. But, you know, again, I spoke to you before about how hard of a time you and I, or maybe I'll just speak for myself. I've given Zverev for his kind of immature behavior over the summer you know, at the Adria tour, not social distancing, etc. But I think my personal takeaway from this U.S. Open about Zverev is that, you know, uh, obviously he is human, but I say he is human in the sense that he showed me this tournament that he has a big heart. He wants it, you know, and he is unlike people like Nick Kyrgios, who... <laughs> Nick is probably not listening, but whatever. I'm gonna throw his name in the in the hat. I hope he is. But before we talk <laughs> about him, you you were um, you were really moved by Zverev's speech, right? I was. I didn't get I to was. see it because the match ended at 8:20, and my dinner reservation was at 8:30. <laughs> I will watch it when I get home. So you know, being the emotional one, you know, obviously the the person as you know, between Jason and I that cries after losing a practice match <laughs> when Zverev came up for his runners up speech and he was talking about, you know, he started to crack a little bit when he talked about his parents. He wanted he went to thank his parents for all of the support and guidance that they have given him over the years. He, you know, had to take a moment because he was getting very emotional about to cry and he had you know shared with the world at that point that his parents tested positive for covid before the tournament and that is the reason why they were not able to be present for this us open and you know watching him there kind of holding his tears in made me realize that you know at the end of the day this is a young gentleman he's not a teenager but he's not you know a 37 Filipino man slash 42 Canadian guy that has lived a couple of years of experience. You know, he's still immature in many ways and not that's not to be negative or derogatory, but you know, we are watching him evolve. We are watching him develop into a person, into a tennis player, and his runners up speech made him more human to me. And it, it, honestly, it made me cry. It, it it just made me realize how much dedication he has to the sport and although he's made some poor choices over the past few months that he's really good for our sport and i think and i hope that this u.s open is not going to be his last appearance in a slam final so what i'm hearing you say is <laughs> tell me he he's not a girl but not yet a woman <laughs> Britney Spears. Yes, correct. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I can't believe you just referenced Britney Spears. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I would agree. God. Zverev, Medvedev, Team, Sitsipas. We've talked about these guys at length. They, mm. you know, we add uh, <laughs> Chapo and we add Felix and we add a few other folks into the mix. They are good for the sport and they have this platform where they have to be um growing up in front of our eyes on tv and they have flaws yeah. and they make mistakes and zverev has done that and he is going to 
emerge and become a better person in the same way you know Vika was feisty in her earlier career and she has now emerged yes. as a mother and a champion yes. and someone we root for yes absolutely uh, um one more thing I wanted to share about the sorry the um the cer- the ceremonial speeches so Zverev came up made me cry and um team came up and I mean I don't know if you've been noticing this jay on ig kind of in the prelude to the men's final but zverev and team seem to have a very close friendship you know team mentioned in his victory speech that you know a couple of years ago they were both ranked at about the same ranking like in the hundreds and they ended up meeting each other very often obviously met each other in the juniors quite often and team said you know Unfortunately, there can only be a one. There can only be one winner today, and he had wished that there were two winners. And I think that was such a classy thing to say. I mean, I don't know if it necessarily lightens the blow for Zverev, but I mean, as torchbearers for the sport moving into, you know, twenty twenty and on. Again, you and I have spoken about Federer, Nadal, Djokovic. We don't know how many years these guys have left in them. I feel really positive about these new, young, cute, well-spoken, developing guys in our sport. It just makes me want to be committed to following their development and their journey. Yeah, yeah, we have to invest in these players because they're going to be around much longer than the three that we talk about and the three that everybody still wants to see or wants to come back because <laughs> this final was so boring, but it was compelling in a different way. And, you know, the play wasn't, you know, great on both ends at the same time. The last set mm-hmm. was a good set. It, you know, they were... Uh, yeah, it was a war of attrition, basically. <laughs> it wasn't sort of great, amazing play. They weren't, you know, four hours and still having a ton of energy. They were both sort of <laughs> putting what they had left out there, and that's why it was compelling. And like you said, we want to continue to invest in these guys because they're going to be around for a while. So, Yeah, what did you think of our, fr- you know, Steve I, our friend from, he's from Detroit, yes? He's uh, from Chicago, but I don't Chicago. think he lives there at the moment. He lives somewhere else. Ah, Right. Our friend Steve I is a Joko fan. I think, uh, you know, to categorize him, just keep in mind, you know, there are different levels of Joko fans, like the Nole fam. I think that Steve loves Joko, but he has his wits and his common sense about him. He posted on Facebook the other day, actually on the day of the men's final, and he said, um, do you remember what he posted? No, I don't. (laughs) Okay, he said something along the lines of, um, you know, for all of those, you know, blank, basically for all of those people that didn't want Joko in the final, what did you think about it? And he ended up posting that and there was like literally 30 to 40 responses of like, you know, this final is terrible. We want the big three back. I immediately thought about you because, you know, we had spoken about our, our, you know, conversation, putting an asterisk next to this final, but I don't know about you. I was thoroughly entertained and just kind of in summation on the women's and on the men's side. I think that Naomi and team are 
there's there's no asterisk. Sorry. No. There's no asterisk. They earned that Grand Slam. And for those players in the top 10 or 15 that weren't there, i.e. Halep, Nadal, oh well. Mm -hmm. I mean, you still have to get through seven matches in order to win a slam. And so big clap out to both of them. Yeah, agreed. So we're going to move on to Roma. Mm. What? So um, I'm just sort of taking a look at the draw. Admittedly, it's hard to keep up with all of this. I think I've said this before, <laughs> but it's hard to keep up with all this <laughs> tennis. But obviously, I think, you know, what has stood out to me so far is obviously people who played in New York, there are people who decided not to play. So Serena bowed out. Um, but her sister's there. Oh, is she? She is. I didn't know that. You know who she you know who she plays first round? No. She plays Vika. No, again? Tomorrow. Oh shit, son. That's gonna be a good match. <laughs> <laughs> There's some other um interesting matches too that I saw. Mm-hmm. Coco is playing Who's she Cuckoo for Coco Goff. Cuckoo for Coco Goff is <laughs> playing um Jabour. That should uh-huh. be interesting. And then Muguruza is playing Sloan. Yes, I know. I mean, uh, before kind of we get into the matchups, uh, usually in a normal year, we would have a minute between... I Actually, the minute would be Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. I was going to say between French and the U.S. Open. Yeah. But it's just, again, I'm getting tired of hearing this freaking word, unprecedented. I don't know about you. Yeah. But, I mean, we didn't even have a minute to process the u.s open and people are already have already flown over to rome to play that masters and then the french open the week after but again to your point there's some really interesting matchups i mean there's a couple of players that i'm very intrigued in watching because i we haven't seen them play um halep being one of them you know she's the number one seed in rome benchich i'm really excited to to watch Burton's who has been just enjoying her time in Europe while people are winning matches all over the place <laughs> at the U S open. And, you know, part of the Gael Monfils, I forget their official name. They, Oh, they have, they've come up with a couple name, Svetlina and Gael. Yes. They have come up with a couple name, uh, a couple name and they have their own IG, but I'm excited to see Elena, the Svetlina get back into action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did see her in the draw and, you know, on her IG getting into Rome as with all the other players. And it is crazy that people are leaving the U.S. Open bubble like Felix did and, you know, getting to Rome and and it's sort of in full swing again. I know. So speaking about the men, Felix lost. I know he lost his first round, so he's going to have to wait two weeks now for the French. Are you, are you, who are you excited to watch on the men's side? Uh, I mean, I think everybody's excited to see Nadal. I'm, I'm interested to see what he looks like. And he's, he's going to be playing PCB in the second round. <laughs> PCB. PCB. He I got know, a, I, PCB got a bye. He did. I don't know how that I, happened. Is, did he get a bye because he made the semifinal and they're just like, you who would have been in the first <laughs> round against him, you, 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 you're shit out of luck. Is that what happened? I don't know how that works. 
Yeah, I'm not so sure. I saw that in the draw as well. I'm like, that's really interesting that you would have two players get a buy that are in, like, literally right next to each other in the draw. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I mean, if there's any person that earned it, it would be PCB. <laughs> yeah. You know who else lost first round? Who? Benoit Pair. <gasps> oh, my God, the Rebel. Yeah, two and one to Sinner, the guy who you thought was Australian but is Italian. Ah, and you're, you we're gonna what? get to know him because he's gonna he's gonna be a top player soon. A sinner? Mm-hmm. Is he gonna make me a sinner? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what Benoit Pair posted right after his match loss against Sinner? No. He posted a selfie of himself, which he is apt to do, mm-hmm. and he said, "It's just a match." <laughs> True, and those are just so, words. Those are just words. Yeah. I mean. Benoit Pair, okay, for all of our listeners out there, if you want to have a thoroughly entertaining person to follow on Instagram, aside from our Instagram, <laughs> it, it is 1 million percent Benoit Pair. You're going to get nudity. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to get inside scoop. <laughs> You're also going to get, I don't give an F. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's so entertaining. Yeah, some shadiness. <laughs> Definitely, I don't give an F. Right. Um, and so, uh, what what level of analysis do you want to do about Rome? It's just nice to see people back on clay. Like, I don't think we can really as- expect people who were in New York perhaps to do very well. Like, maybe Djokovic's uh, early removal from the U.S. Open will help him in in Roman at the French. I don't know. <laughs> How ironic! <laughs> How ironic! Yeah, I mean. Uh, I mean, what level of analysis should we do? I mean, maybe this the 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 same level of analysis as flipping a, a coin, because you know, as both you and I know, because you and I have played on both surfaces, going from hard to clay, especially if you've had zero preparation for those people that went far in the U.S. Open and in Cincy, you're gonna be kind of like a duck out of water. So, I mean, I don't know. Unless you're like a top tier player that's like producing consistent results week in, week out. I mean, look at Felix Ogeliasim. I mean, he had a reasonable U.S. Open, but I guess because he had no preparation on clay, he lost out to a guy that grew up on clay mm-hmm. in Krajanovic. So, I mean, I don't know. Who who are you feeling for, for Rome? Do you even care? Do you care? Uh <laughs> I I mean it's it's too hot to handle. There's too it's too fast. It's, fa- it's such a fast turnaround. Yes, I think I'd like. I'm looking forward to seeing Vavrenka. I'm looking forward to seeing Nadal. I'm looking forward to seeing Nishikori, who won his first match in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, post COVID. Uh, I'm always looking forward to seeing Sitsipas, and who's he's playing center in the second round. So, Ooh. yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how it takes takes shape. And you know, but all eyes, I think, will be on whether Nadal can get past the first round and if he's able to sort of um, extend towards the end. And he's had lots of success at this particular uh, tournament. I'm over her. You're over Nadal. I decided I'm over her. Like now that teams won a Grand Slam, and like there's so many new cute beautiful amazing personalities coming out of the men's tour like this this discussion of the big three i'm like so over like nadal can go home Mm -hmm. you can go home get a couple more hair plugs marry your marry your girlfriend 
Like I think they are married. I know. No? Oh, they are. Yeah. Okay, well, whatever. Have some kids with your girlfriend. Like, Ryan is going to hate me for saying this, and all of the Nadal fans (laughs) out there are going to hate me for saying this. But, like, you know, I mean, Nadal has been great for the sport, but uh, goodbye. I mean, the funny thing is he is at home. He's at home on the clay, and he's he's probably going to take this. And I think what's most interesting is he hasn't – he's only been playing on clay during this whole pandemic shutdown, so he's probably – best equipped to Ugh. win both these events including the French if Open up, if he ends up winning Rome and and, and uh, the French Open I'm done <laughs> I'm, ju- I'm gonna, done I'm like, what do you mean you're done you're gonna quit our podcast <laughs> I mean I'm gonna quit the podcast I'm just like uh, con- uh, what are what are we gonna be talking about in like a month congratulations Rafael Nadal for winning five million French Open <laughs> for winning your 13th and then probably I think it's like 10 or 11 Rome titles yeah I'm done I like I'm bored like do something else like do do like take up another hobby so admittedly he's never been a favorite of mine but when he made that comeback from injury in 2013 i started to Mm. appreciate more what he does and i definitely appreciate how he plays on clay and how amazing he is to watch on that surface so we'll see what he does but yeah i think because yeah i think you know those players and then like you said how watching uh to see what halep does um nobody's really thinking about the number one player in the world because she's still hanging out with the koalas <laughs> in australia <laughs> she's chilling out Yeah, what's her Ash name Barty again oh okay is. you remembered it good for you <laughs> i made sure to google her name before oh. <laughs> starting this episode. <laughs> well, before we close, we should talk about a player whose name we do know because we doth interview her and she does not like to be called Eugenie is Jeannie. Yeah, and she she happens to be our best friend. Yeah, she's our BFF. <laughs> we, you know, chatted with her while she was in Istanbul, killing it, winning six matches in a row. You know what? That girl ended up beating. Yes, she qualified into the tournament, and then in the first, in her first round match, she ended up beating Kuz, Kuzi, Svetlana Kuzi, Kuznetsova in three sets. And I, which is yeah, you go ahead. I was just gonna say I congratulated her on IG on her Kuz victoire. Yeah, you know what? Like, there's always a moment. There was always. There's always been a. There's been a couple of moments in our in our interview after. <laughs> You know, after having Jeannie on, where I'm like, you know what? She said we're best friends, but actually, are we? (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? Like, she is in her busy schedule focusing on winning tournaments. She still manages to kind of communicate with us. And I think that solidifies our relationship. Yeah, we're BFFs. We're going to be watching Netflix and picking our drinks and hanging out with her in Vegas when we can fly there. Did you, do you know the news about her in the French Open? I do. I saw it briefly on our way back uh, to our hotel today that she got the wild card spot. She has got the wild card spot. And this French Open, I think, is going to be even more intriguing than the U.S. for so many reasons. First of all, it's at a completely different time. So to see... What the lighting looks like? Are they going to play with the with the roof? They on have top? the roof, yeah. The roof, because it's on it's fire. On. <laughs> we don't need no water. <laughs> Just keep them mofos physically distanced. <laughs> you know what? You have some flavor. 
<laughs> they're gonna have some fans there and they are at the peak of their covid outbreak so what the hell Hold on, wait, wait, rewind. Thank you for sharing that with me because I am not in the know. So they're going to have fans in the stands? Yes, they're, they're planning to have, I think, 50% capacity or like a certain level of fans in each of the stadium courts. Son, this is exciting. Is it? Or is it just like going to be... Stupid. Yeah. I mean, there, there, we, we, we don't have time to get into, I think, some of the concerns that players have expressed, but... Maybe we can do that next episode. It's a big stadium. You can socially distance. You're kind of, you know, in plain air. So I think that it, it's going to go swimmingly. I hope I hope you're right. I'm, I know there is some concern that, you know, they have in France, they've had uh, upwards of 10,000 cases per day, which is Shoot. it's a lot. So that's a lot. We'll see how it goes. But we were talking about Jeannie. Yes, Jeannie. And her wild card birth. And her wild card birth. So, I mean, I am going to give ourselves, I'm going to take the liberty of giving ourselves a pat on the back for (laughs) spurring her on, (laughs) spurring her on to a finals appearance since for a long, 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 long time. Um, But she's clearly taking positive steps in the right direction. And I think that she's got it in her to go deep at the at the French L- like listen she did well in Prague you know she didn't do well in Prague the second time <laughs> Prague, Prague 2.0 <laughs> Prague 2.0 she didn't do well but she got to the finals of Istanbul and her clay court preparation could not have been any better so Jeannie if you're listening oh my god that's the first time that I said <laughs> nice, that well done. <laughs> Jeannie if you're listening we love you. We support you. You're our best friend. <laughs> show us show us that French Open trophy when we fly over to Vegas the next time. Yeah, you're going to kill it, girl. You won six matches <laughs> in a row, and you saved seven match points before going down in that final. So well done. Well done. Oh, one more thing. Sorry, I wanted to mention. I don't – I'm sure – I know you actually know this piece of information, but uh, CSN – Another Spaniard with... What is it about Spaniards with three names? I don't know. I was wondering the same thing when you were talking about PCB and RBA. And RBA. Do you know who CSN is? Oh, Carla Suarez Navarro. Wow. Good for you. Clap, clap to Jason. Carla Suarez Navarro, unfortunately, has been diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And, you know, when she came out with that information a couple of weeks ago, the tour, her friends, her peers on both sides, ATP and WTA sent sent messages of comfort to her. She's currently undergoing chemo. And you know what? CSN and again, you Jeannie mentioned that her win against CSN at the French Open was one of her highlights of her career. We just want to send out some heartfelt, you know, um, feelings toward her and hope she recovers from from that. Mm-hmm. Some love and affection. All right, love and affection. CSN. How, how do we say? Um, oh, we. How do we say ciao? We. How do we say ciao? We. How do we say bye <laughs> in Italian? We say ciao. <laughs> <laughs> Arrivederci. Arriva, ciao. Arrivederci. Ciao. Enjoy the Roma and enjoy the lead up to the French Open. We oui, we. Oui. <laughs> we. Oui. Oh my God. <laughs> 
Bye. You're the worst. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> hey, it's your serve. If you love this episode, be sure to give us a five-star review. And don't forget to share it with others and let them know what all the racket's about. See what I did there? And don't forget, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Ready Play Tennis Podcast. See ya.